Welcome to this week's Sports Insight Extra podcast for Formula 4 Media in Great Neck, New York. Formula 4 Media publishes vertical trade magazines, Textile Insight, Sports Insight, Footwear Insight, Outdoor Insight, and Sports Style. And it also publishes digital magazines, Sports Insight Extra once a week, Footwear Insight Extra twice monthly, and Textile Insight Extra once a month. Now it's time for this week's podcast. We are speaking with Mr. Ed Schauder, a partner in the corporate and business law practice who heads the sports law practice at Phillips Neiser LLP. Mr. Schauder, who has more than 30 years of experience, is the former general counsel and EVP of licensing for Steiner Sports, the leading authority and producer of authentic hand-signed collectibles. In the sports and entertainment area, he has created programs to protect and market the intellectual property, negotiate licensing, corporate sponsorships, endorsements, and other agreements for members of championship sports teams and professional athletes linked together through their similar accomplishments. Ed joins me here on the Sports Insight Extra podcast today to discuss the Fair Pay to Play Act in California and how its recent passage in the Golden State could have far-reaching impact on collegiate sports, the NCAA, and sports licensing. Good afternoon, Ed. Maybe today first you could provide our listeners a, a little bit about what the Fair to Pay, Pay Play Act is in California and how it came to be. Thanks, Bob. Well, first of all, it's great to be on your show. So the Fair to Play Act would make it illegal for colleges and universities in California to take away an athlete's scholarship or ineligibility as a punishment for that athlete profiting from his name, image, or likeness. And it goes into effect, as you said, in January 2023. So it all stems from rights of publicity. You know, Senator Nancy Skinner in, in California said it the best, right? You know, typically, I can't go out and make a Bob McGee t-shirt, nor can I go out and make a Michael Jordan t-shirt, because it violates their rights of privacy unless they're compensated for their time. So, you know, for years, even high school students, uh, sometimes they do these baseball showcases. They're asked to sign cards by leaf, you know, when they do the perfect game showcase. But they don't profit from this. And in, and when NCAA, you know, when a school wins a championship and gets $15 million or whatever it may be, these players that are really driving, you know, the, the dollars and driving the sales of the TV spots, commercials, etc., aren't getting any. So a guy like Zion Williamson, who's an outstanding player, doesn't really benefit. It stands to reason why wouldn't an athlete, and, and there are reasons to counter that, but why wouldn't an athlete benefit from a commercial exploitation? And I want to give one analogy for you. Let's say Mark Zuckerberg, who founded Facebook, gets an academic scholarship and is in Harvard. He then figures out a social network platform, right? And he's making oodles and oodles of money. No one has ever suggested that Mark Zuckerberg would give up his scholarship in that circumstance or the school would be entitled to it or would be ineligible for a scholarship. So when you take an athlete, think about what happens. The athlete's image is being exploited. They're, they're being asked to wear a particular brand of uniform, be it Nike or Adidas, whatever it may be, or a particular shoe. And the school is getting paid for that as well. And, you know, the threat of, you know, being able to take away a scholarship basically means that out of anybody on the planet, the student athlete is the only one who's really being, their image is being commercially exploited without any kind of fair compensation. And that's the genesis of the Fair to Pay, uh, pay to Play Act in California. Do you think it's a good idea? And do you think there'll be a snowball effect with other states trying to pass similar legislation? Clearly, I, I personally, look, I've always been an advocate of player rights. I even, uh, when a player retires or they, they have a common experience and they go their separate ways, there's 
all kinds of rooms for exploitation. So I have organized on a pro bono basis players that played before Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. I've organized and incorporated the 1969 Mets into Miracle of 69 Enterprises, the 80 Olympic team into Miracle on Ice Enterprises. So I'm a player side guy. I think other states will you know, there will, there may be a snowball effect. I mean, think that I believe Connecticut and North Carolina are already exploring this. And also, one thing to point out too, the NCAA itself has a committee uh, that should come out with some sort of a report to consider the issue as well. Uh, if they don't, you see, here's the reason why. If, if they don't, California is going to have a real leg up on everyone else. Because think about it. If I'm a talented recruit, let's say I'm Zion Williamson coming out of high school, right? And now all of a sudden I can go to a school in California where I can get my scholarship and also commercially exploit my image, you know, and, and I, I, or if I go to another state and I can't, California will have a supreme edge, right? A significant edge. So I think that this is an issue between now and 2023 will help really come up with a policy that may spread to other states. Although clearly there's significant opposition to this at the NCAA level and even Ohio State, I believe, has indicated that they're considering suing if, if this law gets passed as well. Now, how hard do you think the NCAA will fight this? Oh, they're already fighting it. They're already fighting it. The NCAA has already sent uh, letters. Mark Emmerich sent a letter uh, to Gavin Newsom on Wednesday saying that uh, if, if they allow this, it's, quote, unconstitutional. It would upend the balance of college sport and asking him to reject it. You know, there's there's already the threat of taking any school that uh, in California to the extent this law is passed and preventing them from playing in any kind of tournament. So clearly the NCAA is already fighting it. And as I mentioned, you know, uh, Ohio State, you know, has already uh, also indicated they may sue because of the unfair co- competitive advantage as well if the law is passed. So, you know, the NCAA is very strict. I mean, Johnny Menzel got slapped uh, years ago signing autographs for money. So I think this is going to be an interesting couple of, you know, it's going to be interesting, especially if the governor signs the bill into law to see the reaction. But, you know, the one thing I'd like to stress is the common sense approach would be figuring out a way to allow amateur athletes uh, to the extent that the market dictates to benefit from their name and likeness without you know, and making it across the board. You know, this law is adopted in all 49 states. What are we really asking the NCAA to do? Just basically cut them a fair slice or share the pie a little bit or expand the pie to, to allow these athletes an opportunity? You know, because think about it too, right, Bob? If, if, if Think about what happened. Let, let's say when Zion Williamson, his, his foot popped out of the shoe, he tore an Achilles or, or ruptured, you know, uh, you know uh, a ligament of some kind and, and never played again. You know, at that point in time, you know, this whole discussion would take on another twist at all. So if an athlete who you never know when the clock is going to tick for an athlete can make money and benefit his family the same way that you know, a guy like Mark Zuckerberg can come up with an idea and make money to better his family while still maintaining an academic scholarship. You know, I, I think that that's, that's where this should head. Reasonably, this is where it should head. As, an, as a guy that has protected a lot of athletes' intellectual property and built brands, I, I think uh, it's, it's about time that this law passed, frankly. And you, I also read that, that uh, there's been some discussion about uh, if this passed, that the, the proceeds that athletes made from their selling T-shirts or whatever would be putting into a trust that they wouldn't receive until after their collegiate uh, careers and uh, so that it would protect your amateur status? Is, is that something that you think would well, be Well, you, you know, look, <laughs> you see, that I am 
time for because you have to understand i have a kid that is in college right now and i gave him 500 bucks and and next thing you know it's all gone and it wasn't for books it was all buying i guess he was buying friends by buying them coffee right, uh, right, right. But, yeah so you know what i'm talking about so i mean look there's a practical effect number one you know a young man you know who, who who is in college may not have the ability to handle those millions although some would argue that that's not uh, the ncaa's that that doesn't fall into the purview of the ncaa or even you know it's a private matter so to speak uh but you know putting it on trust i think is a smart idea there's many different ways to do it there's one way to do it think about this the nba for many many years handled the licensing not only of their logos but also the retired players and even the current players it wasn't until about a year or two ago where nba players association decided to take over their own licensing of its members its athletes so the ncaa could conceivably be an agent or the players themselves you know could hire an agent and 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 then how they manage the money would be that player's uh you know obligation now one thing i think might be interesting too uh this is not going to apply or benefit only the elite players right but when i do programs for retired players and let's Take the 69 Mets, for example. There were three Hall of Famers, Tom Seaver, Yogi Berra, and Nolan Ryan. If the player's image was used, everybody shared it pro rata. So maybe there's a way to think about it since the teammates actually help the players get to where they are as well, cutting the slice for some of the other players that will never make it into the pros. You know, there's a lot of creative ways that this could be done if people start to think about it. I would love to see that if Zion Williamson, I'm going to keep using him as an example because there's such a disparity between him and anybody else, right? Not since LeBron James have you seen, or Michael Jordan, have you seen so much. But wouldn't it be nice if they would cut a slice of maybe what he would earn under this law to the extent that it was passed in Connecticut to actually benefit other players of the team that may never, ever have that kind of earning power. So there's a lot of different ways to approach this. There's no right or wrong. It's just finding a logical common ground, but it's all grounded in rights of publicity. It's all grounded by the state laws that basically says you can't com- commercially exploit someone's image without their permission or authorization for any kind of an economic benefit. And it's all based on rights of privacy law. So I'm all for, you know, broadening it to to student athletes. And you know what? The NCAA makes a lot of money and they could figure out a way to to, you know, share part of the, the wealth. So to speak. they represented the players, uh, the, these opportunities as, they, as, as the agents, per se, they, they might be interested since they'd be collecting a, a royalty on these revenues. Yeah, that's one way to do it. I mean, you, you know, look, uh, at the end of the day, the NBA players said, you know what? We should be controlling our own destiny. There's a slight conflict of interest. Think about it. Right. Look, you know, when, when somebody actually abuses in, in, in quotation marks a right or, or a likeness. So the NCAA is viewed by many of the student athletes as having abused their name, likeness, uh, and image rights. Do you really want them then to be your agent? There's a little no. bit of, however, however, you know, it could be structured in such a way where uh, they are at least initially the agent so they can actually oversee it. You know, they're the ones who are getting the calls for potential deals, and they're the ones that might be in the best position, at least initially, to implement it. But uh, even if they do, like uh, NBA, uh, you know, handle the licensing of players, I think there would be a transition to maybe a, a player union or, but most players, I think most players would simply exercise that right by getting an agent. Realistically, what percentage of college athletes, and I assume football and basketball players would have the best opportunity, would be able to take advantage of laws similar to fair pay to play and strike compensation deals for the use of their name, image, and likeness? And also, second part of that, you know, what kind of annual revenue could this possibly generate and help show up? We've already discussed yeah. about the how the amateur status. All right, so that's a great question. On a local level, a lot of athletes could benefit 
from, right? So in other words, if you go into a local campus store and you saw t-shirts and you saw, you know, jerseys or a sneaker deal, you know, in a local community. So take, you know, I think a lot of players, like Archie Griffin, for example, right? He won the Heisman two years in a row. He, he, a guy like him would have benefited significantly. But, you know, on a national level, we're talking about very few athletes. We're talking about like a Tulu from Alabama. We're talking about, again, an athlete like a Zion Williamson. It's really your number one. It's your top draft picks, right, in most sports, baseball being a somewhat of an exception. Uh, however, you know, on a local level, I think a lot of athletes can benefit. What kind of revenue? It, you know, look, look what's in you know, trading cards, apparel, a shoe deal, signing. You know, Johnny Manziel got slapped for signings, but, you know, I can tell you, having worked at uh, Steiner Sports, that uh, Heisman Trophy winners are very much in demand for signings. Anybody that wins a championship, anyone that has a significant play, Doug Flutie, the Immaculate Reception. I mean, you know, a lot of it is, think about it this way, right? It's not only it's not only their career and name, it's also a moment. Let's say that, you know, Rudy, Rudinger had 32 seconds at Notre Dame where he played and made a whole career out of it. Now, if Rudy came on as a, a freshman and he, he was this great underdog story and then he stayed another couple of years, why shouldn't he be able, even though he's not a great player, because he had a great story to tell, why shouldn't he have been able to commercially exploit his image? After he played, after he graduated from Notre Dame, he was able to make a career of it just literally because he had a damn good story and 32 seconds of fame. Maybe this would apply to some of the, uh, I don't want to call them secondary sports, or some of the other less, not football and basketball, you know, track and field, soccer, rowing, volleyball, at least on a local level, perhaps this would apply if they could make some revenue from this as well, if they would have yeah, an Yeah, I mean, look, look, look take, take a, you know, that's a great point. I mean, you know, you're from Boston. Jimmy Craig uh, is a friend of mine. I got to know him really, really well. Great guy. His father worked his you-know-what off to put him through Boston University in college and then to get him to a point where he became the goalie of the 1980 Olympic hockey team. He wins the Olympics. I mean, you know, they're Olympians. They're people striving, you know, for greatness. If you know if the law would allow them to, and, and by the way, we're not going into the whole Olympic sphere, right? That's a whole other conversation for another day. But if he plays for the NCAA and is allowed to, you know, it doesn't jeopardize his amateur status, and he can make money signing autographs or selling game used equipment. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Also, so much, so many leagues, teams are selling game used equipment, and you know, would you rather have a a big poppy game used jersey or you know the guy that you never heard of on the Red Sox, right? I mean. The name of the player is what's going to create value, and that's another whole stream of revenue. Look, you know, as sports grows, there's more and more streams of revenue, and the athlete is what drives it. You know, the team logo, definitely. You know, the Red Sox, much as, uh, you know, I've despised the Red Sox for the years, and you got to respect them. You know, um, that that logo means something, but so does the player name. No different than amateur sport. The school, like a great school like UCLA, Wooden, Jab- uh, uh, Lou Alcindor, Bill Walton. You can go on and on and on. Those names are legendary, but it's, it's sort of a balance, right? It's both. It's not just one or the other. A great player becomes a legend. And, you know, think about it. Even now, there are Michael Jordan UNC jerseys being sold. But but why couldn't it have been sold while he played and allowed him to make money? Now, he went on to have this incredible Hall of Fame career, but with career-ending injuries and the like, why should the NCA make all the money to a player and a player makes nothing? And if they get, you know, they suffer a career-ending in- injury, then what? I mean, take Len Bias, tragic oh, case, right? In horrible, yes, I recall, yes. Yeah, right, he was a Boston draft pick. He right? was one day, yes, with Red Arbreck, one right, day. Right, right, yes. one 
day. So think about it. This kid would have been able to make money. Maybe he would have left a legacy, you know, for his family who who were devastated. You know, the whole, you know, and when a player makes it, it's not just for the player. It really changes the lives of everybody around that player too. Finally, today, I, and I want to just ask you, as it ties back into the sports sporting goods industry, do you think traditional athletic brands like Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, Puma, New Balance would be receptive to creating lines with popular collegiate athletes with representing the athlete rather, and, and also how are are there other companies out there in the sports business, including Steiner and video game firms like EA Sports, that you think would have a great interest in getting involved with utilizing collegiate player names, likenesses, and images? Yeah, I mean, you know, a couple things. Number one, think about what happened when, again, Williamson's shoe burst. I, it was a horrible PR experience for Nike. But have you ever heard of Nike actually creating a customized shoe for a college player? So clearly there's interested this interest in betting on some players to hit and giving them a shoe deal from the get go. So, you know, clearly athletes there there definitely would be interest because de facto nobody's gonna say it, but I'll say it. Williamson had a Nike deal for all practical purposes within the rules, the right. rules that exist. As far as video games, yeah. I mean, you know, take the Bannon case, the Ed Bannon case. I mean, you know, I don't think Ed Bannon can benefit from this rule because it wasn't the rule of the land then. So his case will, you know, just proceed its course and this won't become effective till 2023. But if they've used images of amateur athletes, of course there's a market for it because can you imagine during the March Madness, kids being able to play video games using the, I, I think in fact that's the training cards and video games are the best right, examples. Okay. Um, now Steiner Sports is no longer there. I mean, it, it's, its assets were acquired by Fanatics, but but, you know, there are plenty of memorabilia companies out there that would want to get, you know, team signed basketballs because, you know, you know the audiences, Bob. The audience is 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 the alum. You know, every school has tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of alums that would definitely buy signed merchandise or, or shirts of the current team or or trading cards of the current teams, signed trading cards, pieces of uniforms. So I think there's a lot of opportunity. And should this you know pass and become common, you'll see the major stars make major money, but you'll also see you'll also see lesser known players make money. And if it's done properly, the same way that Seaver, Ryan, and Berra allowed you know their teammates to make money with some deals that they just share in pro rata, like team sign deals, uh, I think you'll see a lot of benefit not only for the star players, but for the average to, frankly, the walk-ons as well. And, and that's a nice thing to do. You know, For them to be able to make a little bit of money, yes, they get a college education. That's great. And yes, they don't have the student debt. But you know what? Why not? We're a land of opportunity. Why not like start them off with a little something extra in their bank accounts? Well, it's certainly an interesting topic, uh, Ed, and it certainly bears watching over the next three years before the implement potentially the implementation of it in California and perhaps adoption of a similar laws in other states. And again, thanks for speaking with me today. I've been speaking with Mr. Ed Schauder, who heads the sports law practice from Phillips Nizer LLP in New York City about the fair pay-to-play bill in the state of California. And you've been listening to the latest edition of the Sports Insight Extra podcast. Learn about the latest sports industry news every Monday afternoon at the website or on your mobile device by signing up for a free subscription. And don't forget to catch up and listen to this podcast and every podcast at sportsinsideextra.com or on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify. I am Bob McGee.